We are just continuing with the series on the book of Revelation. We stopped before Advent, uh, we stopped at church number five, and today we are going to be doing, or oh, having a look at the church in Philadelphia. And uh, just to, 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 to refresh a little bit our memory, um, we remember that this was a revelation that John got from Jesus. This was a revelation that John got for Jesus for the seven churches in Asia Minor. And specifically, God had a message for each of the churches. Specifically, there was an expectation there for God to, 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 to deliver this message, for the churches to receive the message and take heed and really move on with, with their lives. So, um, interestingly enough, each particular church is unique. They've got their unique problems. Some of them have not got problems. And the one that we've got today hasn't got any problems. Uh, Philadelphia um, is just commendation. Things that they've been doing well and things for them to, to look forward to. So, we are mindful of the fact that the book of Revelation starts that it is blessed the person who reads from this book, and also for those who hear the book and take, take it into action. So I'd love for us to carry on with the tradition, probably a new voice that is going to be blessed by reading the book and is going to bless the congregation and bless us as hearers as we read uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. Who is the blessed one? Stu. <laughs> okay, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 onwards. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens... No one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are, who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear 
what the Spirit says to the churches. Father God, bless this word. Bless us, we pray. Speak to us through this ancient word today. And your name may be blessed again through the reading of this word, Lord, but also through taking it into our hearts and putting it into our action. Holy Spirit, come in our help today, Lord, and reveal the truths of your words afresh to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Stu. So, we have been going... Technology is not with me today, is it? Um, So just to give you a background, a fresh memory of where all the churches were situated, and we've said that these letters were kind of letters that they could hand on and pass them on to uh, one another, to the churches, and it was good information, but it was not just good information, it was something that if they were meant to be doing, then as I said, it was that expectation for them to do. So we did Ephesus, we did Smyrna, we did Pergamum, Thyatira, and then today we're going to do Sardis and Philadelphia. And um, it's very interesting because all these cities come with their own historical background. Now, Philadelphia is, is a new city. It's probably in the time then Apostle John is writing this revelation to them. It's probably 150 years old. And in this 150 years of their history, it's a li- I said to Ruth, what's, what's a new city in, in Britain that we can identify with? And she said, Milton Keynes. So I, I Wikipedia Milton Keynes, and it was 1967. So... Um, yeah, but don't believe everything that Wikipedia says, though. Um, but it was a new city, and basically, it was a city that started off from an emperor to his brother to show his brotherly love. And that's why the word Philadelphia means brotherly love. It has changed. The name of the city has gone to Flavia and also uh, other historical names, but initially started off as a brotherly love. And very interestingly enough, it was also a city, like we know also to this day, in the part of Turkey, which was very, very vulnerable in the likes, to, or in the likes of earthquake uh, problems. So they had a lot of unsettlements in their way of living in the city because it meant that the earthquakes would really disturb the life of the city. So there was this sense that actually for those who really wanted to settle, they would not preferably settle in Philadelphia. They would just go in the outskirts because again, and then come back in the city because again, it was a very industrial city. Now, if you wanted to know a little bit about the city, you can still do some more research, but one good thing that again came from the city was good quality wine. 
It was known for good wine. So with all this in the background, God was working with his church. And as you can see, or what we heard from Sue, is we've got two distinguished communities there. We've got the Christian community, to whom John is writing the letter, and we've got the local synagogue, who is providing enough strife for the Christians in order for them to be really in trouble. Now, this is, this is the background. Another quality of this letter is that if in the five previous letters, Jesus is introducing himself with description about who he is, to the church in Philadelphia, he is coming with two major adjectives that don't, they're not only to do with the New Testament church. He's talking about holy and true, which are adjectives, which are characteristics of the Yahweh, the Old Testament God. So I'm just giving you this background so you can understand in what context John is addressing this small group of believers. And history, church history, tells us that the church in Philadelphia actually was quite active until the 12th century. There's still a church community there to this day, um, but the activity of the church. So there is a lot of things to know about this, this background, and there is a lot of things that we could draw parallels with. But here we've got a situation that a community of faith, which has taken the mandate from Jesus to go and make disciples of all the world, of all nations, happens to have a gathering, an ecclesia in Philadelphia. And the opposition is from those guys to which John refers as liars. And the word that is used in Greek for that is pseudo. They're pseudo-Jews. The people who could have embraced the holy and the true one, now that the Messiah has come into the picture, have decided to fold their arms and turn their backs. And not only that, but to take action, because whatever the message of the Messiah is giving is not true, because we are the truly true people of God. Because we are the ones that are holy and set apart for God's purposes. Yes, there is truth in that. Until Jesus shows in the picture. Let's have a look a little bit at the 
what has been going on so far in the likes of the letters? What were the things that they were talking about? Ephesus. You know, Ephesus, you're a hard-working bunch. You really work very hard at your doctrine as well, but you have forsaken, forsaken your first love. Number two, Smyrna. Actually, you, you really withhold poverty and afflictions. You're poor, but you're very rich. And nothing bad to say about Smyrna. Pergamum, you know, you really held true to the name of Jesus. It's very similar to what the angel of the Lord is writing to the church in Philadelphia that is saying that you have really held true to the name of Jesus. But actually, you have messed around with things, especially with the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And then we've got number four, Tyatara. Actually, you're really popular. You're known for your love, for your faith, for your service and perseverance. But you have compromised. You've tolerated. Then Sardis, actually some of your works were found worthy. But you've got the reputation of being this popular live church. But at the end of the day, you are dead. And here we go to Philadelphia. There are some qualities here that are fascinating about... Where did I leave my Bible? They're fascinating about the church. The words, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. By the way, if you want to look at that understanding of that phrase, have a look today for your homework at Isaiah chapter 22. And it talks about Eliakim who basically is given, after an incident of somebody who ran away with some riches, he was given the key to um, the treasures of King Hezekiah, really. And he, he was the really administrator. And then the idea here is for Jesus, who holds the key to David, who's, who's holding this abundant blessing for everybody. So he... Opens no one can shut, and who shuts that no one can open? I know your deeds. We're going to talk about the door, but he's talking about, you have kept my commands to endure patiently. I will also keep from you the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole wide world to test those who live on earth. The commendation here is... You have been faithful. You have been persisting. You have, you've been given a word. You have been given this opportunity to, 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 to be entrusted with something. And because you have, you've done a good job with that, well done. You are to be admired in comparison to all the other seven churches. Because actually, interestingly enough... The same six other churches have also been given the same mandate, have also been entrusted with the treasures of God's commissioning word. Three ideas that come to mind, and I'd like for us to develop them a little bit for Cairns. There's five places in the New Testament, then, that the word open doors is mentioned. Now, 
I'm going to be a little bit controversial here. Because the idea that you hear often is that when something is done to you as a blessing from God, you see that as an open door to the new opportunity. This is not the open door, I believe, that the text is suggesting here. Every time you see the phrase open door, especially in the Pauline style of writing, it talks about an opportunity to be adventurous with God. It talks about the opportunity to actually to be able to minister to others rather than to look inward to being blessing. I'm not denying the fact that God does that, and that could be seen as an open door, but the open door that the text suggests here is this open door of opportunity that you get adventurous with God, with what he has been entrusted you with. Possibility of being used by God. So in the midst of this opposition, in the midst of this turmoil, in the midst of what's going on, the church in Philadelphia has been entrusted with this ministry, what does Ephesians say? The ministry of reconciliation. That's what we've been given. Other places say we've been given to be you know, bearers of the good news. Other places Jesus says, go and make disciples. So this mission, this 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 service that the church has, this is the open door. And the beauty of this open door is that there is only one gatekeeper. And that's Christ. Even though you may be in Philadelphia and you may be struggling, even though the synagogue of the Jews is giving you a hard time and is bringing all sorts of opposition against you, all sorts of things, you still have hold tight into my word and you've carried on. Do you know what that open door looks like in the 21st century? I was talking with Jill. By the way, Jill has had her birthday this week. She's 301 years old. Very good, Jill. I was talking to Jill this week um, about Café, how it started. And Café started with one sponge cake and a carpet with some toys on the floor and some people who said, we want to get adventurous with God. Do you want to know what Open Door looks like? Well, come here on a Monday, Wednesday or Friday. Come here on a Tuesday or Thursday. And you'll see what an open door looks like. Do you want to see what an open door looks like? It's only 25 years ago when the church sprang out in Albania after a lot of people praying and praying that God will bring forth his gospel. That's what an open door looks like. When those missionaries who are 
I haven't seen for a long time, but I would have not known. Thought, whoa, I want to get adventurous with God because Albania is opening up. Let's go. We've never planted a church. We've never done missions work before. We've never done any professional thing before, but let's go because we want to be obedient. Do you know what an open door looks like? Go a little bit to the Open Doors website and see the opportunities that people have to preach and to serve and to proclaim the gospel in a way that is getting adventurous with God but putting their lives at risk. So we're going to go into the week and what does Open Door means for me, does mean for me personally well you know where you don't want to get adventurous with God because it's giving up giving in and again I'm not saying that this is an opportunity for us to stop God blessing us nothing to do with that it has to do with the potential And it has to do with the opportunity that only God is the gatekeeper of that open door that we become administrators, bearers, proclaimers. You call it whatever you want of the good news that Jesus Christ came down to this earth 2,000 years ago to reconcile God with man. And God loved so much the world that it cost him the life of his most precious thing, his son. That whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And we have been given this bomb. We have. It's dynamite. Because it brings transformations. I was so encouraged this week when I went to to this meeting about the city of Bristol. And the city of Bristol, the idea of this church group of church leaders is to turn the city of Bristol, the name from a city of sanctuary to a city of hope. It's amazing. I get excited for that. Bristol, a city of hope. And who else, apart from God, can bring that hope in this city? We can try. We can come with the best business plan for the city ever. But if God is not in it, then we'll scrap it. The second thought that comes to mind is, and this is not a rebuke for the church in Philadelphia, is the lack of strength. Now, as well-to-do people, self-sufficient people, middle class, we really struggle with the idea of asking for help. We struggle with the idea of acknowledging that actually we are limited. And sometimes we've got this lack of strength. I've really struggled with this this week because... I know that it doesn't have anything to do with a physical strength. But it has to do 
with the idea that if I want to get adventurous with God and what he is doing in Bristol, in the world, in Albania, you name it, then it's nothing to do with what I can help him with. It's to do with what can I fold my sleeves and say, God, I see you're doing that and I'm going to dig in. God, you have placed a desire for us to reach out to families in this church and we're going to start only with a chocolate sponge cake and a carpet. And we let you do the job. It's very hard for us. It's indignifying for us to accept that we've got lack of strength. But folks, brothers and sisters, this is where we learn our dependence and reliance on God. Because in the end of the day, this is God's mission of reconciliation. We've just been given the opportunity, the responsibility to be administrators. And we cannot do it on our own strength. And therefore, coming up with this quality of you know that you've got the lack of strength, I know is putting some people off. But it is better for us to acknowledge that we have lack of strength than to acknowledge that we're powerful and we're going to do it on our own strength. Are you hearing me? The third quality. Shall I take the other mic? The third quality that is very obvious in the church in Philadelphia is that Although they had this little strength, they still expected God to be at work. I love that phrase towards the end when it says, um, You have kept my command to endure patiently. If you look at the Greek words, and um, I've looked at one of the commentators, B. Doug. It's got more that sense of expectation. You wait patiently because you know that you are trusting a God who is immortal, invisible, all-powerful. And although everything around you may look terrible and terrifying, down deep in your heart, you expect patiently. One of my... I'm going to stop here. One of my favorite singers um, is Rich Mullins. God, you are my God, and I always... um, But he's got a song that if you've got a chance to listen to it, it's... uh, I think, for me, it's the most beautiful song he's written. 
Um, I'm going to read it to you, and we're going to pause about it, pause after it. But what it recognizes is that in the midst of this, recognizing that we have got very little strength, and yet expecting God to be on the move. Well, it took the hand of God Almighty to part the waters of the sea, but only took one little lie to separate you and me. We're not as strong as we think we are. And they say that one day Joshua made the sun stand still in the sky, but I can't even keep these thoughts of you from passing by. We're not as strong as we think we are. The chorus. We are frail. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Forged in the fires of human passion. Choking on the fumes of selfish rage. And with these our hells and our heavens. So few inches apart. We must be awfully small. And not as strong as we think we are. And the master said their faith was going to make them move the mountains. But me, I trembled like a hill on the fault line, just at the thought of how I lost you. We're not as strong as we think we are. When you love, you walk on the water. Just don't stumble on the waves. We all want to go there something awful, but to stand there... It takes some grace because we're not as strong as we think we are. Although this letter was written 2,000 years ago, I think there is some meat for us there too. You can tell I'm not a vegetarian. Um, There is some meat there for us to deal with and that opportunity that we expect God who is the gatekeeper and has opened the door ready for us recognizing that we've got little strength and that's better than our own strength and we in those moments of little strength We still have got that fervent patience that God is going to show up. And you know what? He will. I'd like for us to pause for a moment or so to take this all in. It's a difficult message for me. And perhaps there's some of you here that would like some prayer. So we will continue to offer prayer ministry. So um, could I invite the, some of the elders and Liz, please, as well, if you don't mind, in this corner here, we, we will pray for people. And it can be any of these things that we've mentioned about today, but it could be something that you're really grappling with, and that is fine as well. We're here to pray for one another. But let's not, remem- let's not forget that... God loves his church. And he loves you. 
and he loves us to the point of death. But also, he loves us to the point of resurrection. No wonder the synagogue guys had a hard time. Because they couldn't do it on their own strength. Whereas we've been promised that the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave is available for you and me today to go and walk through that open door, to recognize our own limits, and to say, God, you're going to show up. So I just want to give an opportunity for us to think and reflect a little bit, and then if you think you'd like somebody to pray with you, please don't hold back.